Take your Bible, if you will, and turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Our text for the morning is found in Genesis chapter 12, and I'll begin reading at the first verse. But before I read this text, let me say this. And it's hard to say, but I think I am justified in saying this, that I would take this text that I'm about to read and place it in the top ten list of the most theologically significant texts that we find in the Bible. You are here in this place this morning because of the text that I'm getting ready to read. So I hope that the Spirit will allow us to pay particularly close attention to this text. Again, Genesis chapter 12, I'll begin reading the first verse. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curses you. I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? God, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This text that I read a few moments ago is one of the turning points in the book of Genesis. It is a text from which all salvation history flows. I would even contend it is a text from which all history flows. This is the text where we, we read about the covenant that God made with Abram. God calls Abram to leave his homeland. God says to Abram, if you will do this, I will make you, make you the father of many nations. If you will do this, I will see that the whole human race throughout the rest of history will be blessed because of your obedience and your faithfulness. And you notice, Abram left. Abram did exactly what it was that God was calling him to do. We are here in this place on the other side of the globe from Abram's homeland because Abram was faithful to this call upon his life. Abram was faithful in fulfilling this covenant. This is why the Apostle Paul reminds us that Abram, Abraham, is the father of our faith. It starts there. It starts here in Genesis chapter 12. It's through the faithfulness of Abram, through the line, the lineage of Abram, that the Word of God came to the human race and then the living Word, Jesus Christ, 
came to the human race. It's through the faithfulness of Abraham that all the human race has been blessed because of what we've been given from the obedience of Abraham. And that includes Jesus, the Redeemer, Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, the one that we seek to embrace as Lord. A very, very significant text. Notice what it is that God called Abram at this point to do. Abram called, God called Abram to migrate, to leave, to leave his homeland, to leave his family. He ends up taking Sarai and his nephew Lot with him, but he leaves the rest of his family. He leaves his friends. He leaves everything that he knows. He leaves everything that gives him his identity and his sense of security, and he sets out to migrate. He sets out to make a journey to a place, and at this point when he sets out in obedience, he does not even know the destination. God says to Abram, leave, and while you journey as you go, I will eventually show you where it is you're to go. So Abram left. He left Ur of the Chaldeans. He left a city that was rich in idolatry. Ur was known as a city that was dedicated to the worship of Nanar, the moon god. The Jewish community makes a great deal of the fact that Abraham had to walk away from idolatry to be faithful to this God that had showed up on this day in his life. He walked away from Ur. He eventually makes his way to Haran. And then from Haran, he makes his way to Canaan, the land of promise for the Hebrew people. In all, it's about a 500-mile arduous journey. And don't lose sight of the fact that Abram was 75 years old at this point when he's called to do this. He and his wife both are advanced in years. God calls him to leave, and you notice that Abram leaves. When God calls, we have no, we have no choice, but if we're going to be faithful, we must respond. You know, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for my life. But what we learn from the Bible, from Genesis through Revelation, is that God's plan for our life is not automatic. We have to participate. We have to be willing to go when God calls us to go. We have got to be willing to act in obedience when God calls us to act. God has a plan for our life, but it's not automatic. We have to cooperate with God. We have to cooperate with the grace that God gives us. Now, God has an overriding plan for human history. God has an overriding plan for the church, for the kingdom of God, for the kingdoms of this world to become the kingdom of our God and His Christ. But God so esteems you and me that we have to participate. We have to participate in God's plan for our life. God called Abram. He could have decided to stay where he was comfortable. He could have decided to stay where he knew everybody. His family probably had been there for centuries. Everything that went together to give him his sense of security and identity was there in Ur. 
but he chose to be faithful. Notice in the text that Abram's faith is immediate and it's unquestioning. The text simply says, so Abram went as the Lord has told him. Abram steps out in faith. The Apostle Paul reminds us that as faithful people, we ought to walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know about you, I prefer to walk by sight. I like to see the destination and know where it is I'm going. I like to be able to consider every possible eventuality that might occur as I make the journey. But that's walking by sight. That's not walking by faith. Abraham here gives us the example, he's the father of our faith, of what it means to step out in faith and to participate in the journey. Here in the text, he hears God's Word. And when he hears God's Word, he knows he must respond. And he steps out in faith, really steps out in faith. He moves way beyond his comfort zone. He takes his wife, Sarah, at this point, and their nephew, Lot, and they begin the journey. I want you to also notice the tensions in this text. The tensions in this text are apparent. They're obvious if you think about it. Here God is saying to Abram, step out in faith. Here God is saying to Abram, whose name, by the way, means exalted father, calling him to step out in faith as Abram. And if you'll do this, he will become, as he eventually does, Abraham. That's father of many nations. Obviously, he's 75 years old. His wife is about the same age. They are barren. They are childless. They are not a good candidate for beginning a new nation of any sort. But God says, you do what I'm calling you to do, and I will make you a great nation. You do what I'm calling you to do, and through you, the world will be blessed. You do what I'm calling you to do, through you, everyone who blesses you will be blessed. Everyone who curses you and your lineage will be cursed. Abraham sets out, going to a land of which he knows not where at this point. Now, I think we love our comfort zones. We love our security. We love knowing what we know, and we don't like surprises. We like to know what we know in advance. And that makes walking by faith difficult. We really do want to walk by sight. He's 75 years old. You notice he offers no excuses. I could think of a few myself if I were 75 years old and called to do this. He understands that there is no such thing as retirement in the Bible. I said that several times. So I hope you picked that up at this point. There's no such thing as retirement in the Bible. Retirement was something that was invented by Bismarck of Germany to get rid of his political adversaries. There's no retirement in the Bible. We just, throughout our life, throughout the different seasons of our life, we're called to reinvent ourselves. We never walk away from our ministry, your ministry, our service, your service to God. We just, throughout the seasons of our life, we, we change. We reinvent ourselves. 
But we never get to that place in our lives where we can say we've done our part. We're going to leave it to younger people to do. We just reinvent ourselves throughout life. We, in so many ways, are called to be a people in the lineage of Abraham. We're called to be a people that knows how to migrate, that knows how to walk by faith, that knows how to live a life of pilgrimage. I'm sure you understand that the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation that we are to be pilgrims, not settlers. Now, I enjoy being a settler. I want to circle the wagons. I want to find my comfort zone. I want to stay in that comfort zone. And there's nothing in Scripture that allows me to do that. My security is in Christ. My identity is in Christ. It's not in the way I create my little nest that I want to inhabit. We're called to walk by faith. We're always called to migrate. We're always called to embrace the new season of ministry. We're always called to be very, very careful of being controlled by our comfort zones. Abraham was called to walk a long way from his comfort zone. He became the father of all the monotheistic faiths. Whether it's Judaism or Islam or Christianity, he is the father of all monotheistic faiths. This unknown person in the place called Ur of the Chaldeans who just responded to God when God said, leave what you know and walk into an unknown future. Abraham understood what Corey Ten Boom understood. We can trust our unknown future to our known God. Because we know the character and the nature of God, we can trust our unknown future to Him. That's the way we are called to live the life of faith. That's why the life of faith is such an adventure. Now, some people don't want any more adventures in life. They think they've gotten to the point where there should be no more adventures. The, the, the nature of the adventures in life change, but we are called to continue the journey. The season of Lent reminds us we're on a journey, a 40-day, 40 40-night 40 journey. The season of Lent is a journey. We're not called to be settlers. We're called to be pilgrims. We have no enduring home in this world. We are resident aliens in this world, and we're continuing the journey until we finally, eventually, end up home. I'm sure that if you don't understand what it means to have to walk by faith, if you don't understand what it means to trust God in order to take the next step, your time's coming. Life is structured that way. I suspect you know well what it means to walk by faith. I suspect you know well what it means to trust God for the next step. I suspect you know what it means to trust God even on behalf of your family those people that you love most deeply, you have to entrust them to God and trust God for what God has for them. It's not easy, but this is what we're called to do. We are people on a journey. When I was pastoring in Shelby, North Carolina, I had a family that owned a series of convenience stores. They owned an oil company. 
They were tremendous members of our church, tremendous uh, leaders in our community. And what I'm telling you is not betraying a confidence because this ended up on the front page of the Shelby Star. This family's name was Airy, Bob and Robert Airy. They owned this string of convenience stores that also was part of their oil company. And this was at that time when the state of North Carolina was considering a state-run lottery. Now you know that since the 18th century, we Methodists have been opposed to any form of gambling, including lottery, right? Shake your head, yes. If you buy your lottery ticket, just don't tell me that. We're part of the, that Protestant tradition that believes in getting our money the old-fashioned way, earning it. So uh, as, as Protestants who have this Protestant work ethic, we've always been opposed to gambling in any form or fashion. And when the state was considering the lottery, we were adamant in saying we do not accept the lottery. Uh, the state should do a better job of spending their money than to try to find new ways to get money from other people. And when the state instituted that lottery, what ended up on the front page of the Shelby Star was that Bob, Airy, and Robert, Airy, and their string of convenience stores refused to allow the lottery to be played out of their stores. People thought they had lost their financial business mind when they did that. But uh, I can tell you how the story ends. It's still going on. The Aries and their family are still being blessed and highly favored by God for being faithful. Sometimes God calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. That startled the whole community of Shelby when those convenience stores said, you can't get your lottery ticket here. Sometimes we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Some of you have heard me share but it's been a while, and some of you are rather new to our fellowship. Some of you have heard, me, have heard me share about my call to ministry, and we all have stories like this. I was called to ministry from a very, very young age. Um, that call became almost unbearable during my high school years as I was feeling the call to preach. Now, if you would have known me in my high school years and my college years, you would never have expected to see me standing in this spot. When I was in high school, I was, I, was, I was one of the most shy people you'd ever meet. I was awkwardly shy. I had a hard time speaking to my family and my friends, much less strangers. Had a little of a speech impediment. And here God was calling me to preach. And that call became stronger and stronger and stronger. When I was in college, it did become almost unbearable. And I remember one night kneeling in my bedroom and I said, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm going to trust you to do this and I'll just do the next thing you call me to do. There had never been a member of my family who had ever gone to college. I came from a family of very, very limited means. My father was a doffer, my mother was a spinner. And there's probably very few of you here in the room that even know what that is. They worked on the assembly line in a, in a cotton mill. So I didn't know how this shy child, this child that had somewhat of a speech impediment, that came from a family that 
no one had ever gone to college. We had no concept as to how that would be funded. But I just said to God, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but obviously you've got to be the one that does this. Just tell me the next step. Just tell me the next part of the journey. And I never could have imagined where the journey would have taken me over the last 40-some years. God is constantly calling us to step out in faith in so many ways, but we have to say no to the comfort in order to say yes to whatever it is God may be telling us to do. It is walking on a bridge as we're building it, and that's uncomfortable, but that's what God calls us to do. I want to see the whole bridge. I want to see where the bridge goes to before I get on it. But God calls us to walk on the bridge and build it at the same time. This is just the way God works in our life. And if we're going to be children of Abraham, we've got to learn how to do this. We've got to learn how to show the rest of the world how to do this. There's a tremendous music ministry that has impacted millions, and I'm one of them, in the last few years. It's a music ministry entitled City Alight. And it's the music ministry of St. Paul Anglican Church in Sydney, Australia, a very traditional church. But Music Alight is the music ministry of that church. And one of the things they've been doing for several years now is try to write worship music for the church not worship music that can just be sung by soloists, not worship music that can just be sung by a praise team, but they are writing worship music for the church. And a lot of us have been impacted and formed, reformed, by some of the music that we're hearing coming out of the City of Light. One of my favorites is a song they do entitled, a worship chorus, a worship song they do entitled, I Will Trust My Savior Jesus. It starts off talking about Jesus, but in good worship form, it ends up talking to Jesus. The lyrics say, I will trust my Savior Jesus when my darkest doubts befall. Trust Him when to simply trust Him seems the hardest thing of all. I will trust my Savior Jesus, trust Him when my strength is small, for I know the shield of Jesus is the safest place of all. I will trust my Savior Jesus. He has said His way is best, and I know the path He's chosen leads to everlasting rest. And then the refrain, speaking directly to Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus, may my heart be ever yours. Amen.